1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, is a concise version of the gospel. It states that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And then it goes on to say that he appeared to various individuals and to various groups. We often emphasize the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we need to make sure that we never divorce the appearances of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. In fact, in this passage of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that one of Christ's post-resurrection appearances, that he appeared to over 500 men at the same time, so that everyone would know that the resurrection wasn't a hoax, that the resurrection was not something that was delusional. It was something that was historical fact. The post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ are not to be separated from the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we learn that basically these post-resurrection appearances authenticate and verify the resurrection of Jesus. Acts 1, 3 says that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering, that is, after his death on the cross. He presented himself by many convincing proofs, appearing to them, the apostles, over a period of 40 days. The resurrection is a fact. Today, we want to look at one of those post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. It's found in our text in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. The subject that I want to use for the message today is that what a difference Christ's resurrection makes. Some of you are familiar with this, the phrase, what a, what a difference a day makes. I want to suggest to you today what a difference Christ's resurrection makes. And I want us to look at these verses through that lens to see that the resurrection of Christ is life transforming. Christ's resurrection, it brings help to those in despair. Christ's resurrection brings help to those in despair. In verses 13 through 16, we learn that the risen Christ is a benefit to those who are discouraged, to those who are down. A dead Christ is of no benefit, but a risen Christ benefits those who are discouraged and down and in despair. In the Gospel of Luke, we're introduced to two disciples, and they're traveling to their home, to the village of Emmaus, we don't know much about Emmaus at all. The only thing that our text tells us is that it's seven miles away from Jerusalem. So it's in the vicinity of Jerusalem. Luke points out that when these two disciples began the journey, it was on that day. It was on a particular day. 
It was on the day of verses 1 through 11 when the women came to the tomb and the stone was rolled away and they went into the tomb and they didn't find the body of Jesus Christ. But what they did find was that they encountered two men, or better yet, two angels. And those two angels said to these two disciples that Jesus is not here, but he has risen. It was on that day that the events that we will look at took place. And after the angels said that to the women, they went back to the 11, that is the 11 apostles, and they went back to the other disciples, but their testimony, their report sounded like foolishness to them. The apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they're told that Jesus' body is gone. They're told that the angel said he has risen from the dead. They hear that and they, it sounds like foolishness. It sounds like something that they cannot believe. So on that very day, it can be argued that these two individuals are in despair. They're in despair. They, with others, refuse to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And because of that, that means that the one that they had put their hope in, the one that they had hoped would be their savior, so to speak, all of their hopes are dashed because the one that they believed in is dead. And so no doubt these individuals are discouraged. These two followers of Jesus Christ show their despair. How? By going back home, they leave the apostles, they leave the other disciples, and they hurry back home. They show their despair also as they're traveling. They are discussing and debating about these things that have taken place. And they also show their despair by the fact that they're unable to recognize a third traveler. It's not just the two of them, but a third traveler joins them. And that third traveler we know is Jesus, but they do not know who he is. They don't recognize the resurrected Christ. And it's not because their eyes are filled with tears. It's not because... Somehow Jesus' body is radically different than what it was when he was on earth. They don't recognize Jesus because God prevented them from doing so. Verse 16 says that their eyes were prevented from recognizing Jesus. God took action upon these two disciples, blinded their eyes so they could not recognize the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might think, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God just let them see Jesus at that point in time? But really, the rest of the story tells us why. 
the important thing for us to recognize from these verses is that Christ's resurrection brings help to those in despair. Don't miss the fact that these men are discouraged, that these men are down, that these men are in despair. But the risen Christ cares about them. The risen Christ approaches them and walks with them. He could have easily just ignored them. He could have easily just simply said, that's their problem, not my problem. But instead, Christ, the risen Christ, comes to them and cares for them. And he's concerned about them. And I just want to remind each and every one of us, whether you're a child of God or not, Jesus cares about you. And he seeks in his own different ways to come to you in your despair, in your times of discouragement, and in your times of being down. He wants you to know that because he has risen from the dead, that he can help you and that he can give you hope. The second thing that I want you to see from our text is that Christ's resurrection gives proper meaning to who he is and to what he has done. To put it another way, if you get the resurrection of Jesus Christ wrong, you will get wrong his person and you will get wrong his passion. That is the things that he did during Holy Week. Do not be deceived, my friends. A a wrong view about what happened on Resurrection Sunday will damage and devastate your view of who Jesus is as a person. And also, you will not be able to connect the dots as far as what he did during Passion Week. And the disciples, these two individuals, illustrate that. They reflect and they show that they don't have a proper view of the person of Jesus, nor of the passion of Jesus. And so as we continue in our text, we find that in verse 17 that the Lord Jesus Christ raises a question. He wants to know, why are you two disciples exchanging words with one another while you're walking? What are you talking about? What are you debating about? What are you discussing in this journey? And these two disciples just immediately stop. No longer are they walking down the road to Emmaus. They immediately stop. They stop dead in their tracks. And the text says, not only did they stop dead in their tracks, but the text also says that they were looking sad. Imagine the picture. Here are two individuals walking to their hometown. 
and probably walking rather briskly, but they're dialoguing and they're debating with each other. And as they're doing that, this third traveler joins him and this third traveler, Jesus, they don't know it's him, but he wants to know, what are you talking about? What are you debating about? And they immediately just stop. And without saying a word, you could look at their face and see their devastation. You could see their despair. The text said they were looking sad. They didn't have to say a word. They didn't have to express anything. They simply were looking sad. Their face was were gloomy. They were a pitiful sight, these two disciples. And in light of that, one of them, named Cleopas, responded on behalf of both disciples and said, are are you the only one who has been to Jerusalem, who's been around these few days? Are are you the only one who, 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 who doesn't realize what has taken place? And Jesus responds by saying, what things? Cleopas is saying, Jesus, he doesn't know it's Jesus. Are are you clueless? Is your head buried in the sand? The crucifixion has taken place. And other things have taken place. Are you the only one unaware of what has happened in Jerusalem? And, And Jesus has the nerve to respond by saying, what things? It's like the disciples say, 9-11 has taken place. You're not aware of it? The January 6th insurrection took place. You're not aware of it? Somehow, some way, the L.A. Clippers win the NBA championship. (laughs) This is for my son-in-law, Kenny. And my buddy over there, Danny, somehow, some way, the Clippers win the NBA championship, which they never, ever, ever have won. And I'm listening to them dialogue, and all of a sudden I say, what are you rejoicing about? What are you excited about? And they would look at me, you haven't heard? You haven't heard that the Clippers won the championship? And that's their response to Jesus. You're clueless? Something significant, something major has been going on. Are you the only one who does not know? And so they graciously respond to Jesus, this third traveler. And when they respond, basically what they do is focus on the person of Christ and the passion of Christ. And so they both say that the things we're talking about focuses on Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. See, that was their view of Jesus. Jesus was a prophet. He was mighty in word and in deed. But in their mind, that's all that Jesus was, just simply a prophet. 
from a long line of prophets. You do understand that the Old Testament, even the New Testament, talks about prophets. But from an Old Testament perspective, there's all these prophets. And the thing that was characteristic of all of these prophets is not only did they speak for God and foretell on behalf of God, but they died. They all died. And here is just now one more prophet, Jesus, the one from Nazareth. And he is dead also. But I hope you know that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's priest. He's king. He's God in human flesh. But, but when you don't see the resurrection of Christ properly, your view of Christ is going to be distorted. You're going to see him just as another person, another man, good man, powerful man, but a dead man. And so the two travelers on the road to Emmaus go on, not only to focus on the person of Christ, but on the passion of Christ. They talk about the fact that their religious leaders had handed Jesus over to the sentence of death. The, the chief priests and the rulers, they tried Jesus. They found him guilty. They sentenced him to death. And so when they focus in on the trials of Jesus, they see Jesus as a guilty man. And then the next step is not only is he handed over to be sentenced, but he actually is crucified. He's killed. He's put to death. And that rocked the world of these two disciples. That the one that they followed is dead. He's crucified. He's put in the tomb. And they go on to say, because of that, all of our hopes in this one have been dashed. We thought he was going to be the one that redeems Israel. But unfortunately, he's just another prophet. He's just another prophet who has died. And so basically, their hopes have been dashed. And then they go on to speak of another event during Passion Week. You know, they talked about the trials. They talked about the crucifixion, but then they even talk about what we consider the climax of Passion Week, of Holy Week. That is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they talk about how some women sought to amaze them. He says some women amazed us. They came to us having gone to the tomb early in the morning and having entered the tomb. And, and, and the way they were able to enter is that the stone was rolled away, a massive, huge stone that took a miracle for the stone to be rolled away. But they were able to enter into the tomb. And when they went into the tomb, they didn't find the body of Jesus Christ. But one thing that they did experience, a vision of angels. Luke refers to them as two men. Matthew says they're angels. Angelic beings, and they're in dazzling apparel. That is, they're, they're dressed to the T. They, they would have stood out if they had visited us on Resurrection Sunday, because they would have been in all white. 
White suit, white shirt, white tie, white socks, white shoes. Dazzling apparel. And these angels said to these women who were perplexed, he's not here. He's risen. He's alive. And they got, they became astonished by that. They became amazed by that. And so they went and sent some people to the tomb of Jesus to check it out. And the individuals went to the tomb of Jesus, checked it out. And guess what? Exactly what the women said was true. The tomb was empty. Jesus was gone. They didn't encounter any angel, but Jesus was gone. And they said, when it comes to what we're talking about, they bring up the third day. And that might seem like a strange thing to bring up the third day. But the reason why it's brought up and why it's significant is because Jesus Christ When he was on earth, he told his disciples in advance that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer, to be beaten and bruised and mocked, etc., that he would die on the cross, and on the third day he would rise from the dead. When? On the third day. And so the Two disciples talk about it's the third day. And that should have triggered something in them. That should have caused them to reflect upon the fact that Jesus said he would rise on the third day. That that should have caused him to say, hey, he's not in the tomb. Maybe he's not in the tomb, not because his body has been stolen, but he's not in the tomb because he has risen just as he said he would rise. But they're not thinking that way at all. In their mind, Jesus is nothing more than a dead prophet. Resurrection Sunday means nothing to them. All it is to them is that a good man has been put to death, that a good man has been killed but he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. So how does Jesus respond to this distorted view of the two disciples regarding Jesus? Remember, they saw him simply as a prophet. They misinterpreted the events of Passion Week, the climax of Passion Week, Resurrection Sunday, In their mind, the body of Jesus is just missing. So how does Jesus respond? He responds in verses 25 through 27 by rebuking them. He says, oh, foolish men, and and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. With great emotion, our Lord directly addresses these two individuals, Cleopas and his companion. We don't know if it's his wife, whoever it is. Our Lord says, oh, foolish ones. 
He calls them fools. Why? Because they have refused to believe the words of Jesus himself, who said that he would rise on the third day. They have refused to believe the miracle of the stone being rolled away so that the women could go into the tomb. They have refused to believe the the fact that the body of Jesus cannot be found. They have refused to believe the testimony of the angel to say he's not here. He has risen. They refuse to believe all of that. And Jesus says to them, oh, foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. And then he said, when it comes to your inner being, your, your, your mental control center, you fail there too. You're slow to believe all that the scriptures say. He rebukes him. And Jesus rebukes each and every person here who refused to believe in his resurrection. It's not as if there's no evidence. It's not as if there's no proof. It's not as if he himself did not say that he would rise from the dead. The evidence is there. It's all over scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. They had the Old Testament. But basically what Jesus said, it's there. I will rise on the third day. And, and you can do with that what you want. But if you reject it, Jesus says to you, oh, foolish one, and, and slow in your heart to believe all, all that The prophets have spoken. The resurrection of Jesus is testified to and by the prophets. So Jesus rebukes them. Secondly, he responds with a rhetorical question. Here's the question. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And the answer is, yes, it was necessary for Christ to suffer and for Christ to enter into his glories. Peter says, Christ's sufferings and Christ's glories. That's how he refers to it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. The suffering of Christ, that was a divine necessity. It, it, it was mandated. Why? Because you and I are sinners. The sin debt has to be dealt with. The sin problem has to be addressed. And so it was necessary. It wasn't optional. This is not one of many plans. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer. And when you read about the events of Passion Week, the climax of his suffering is when they crucified him when they killed him on a cross. But that's not the whole story. And I'm glad that it's not. Because it says not only was it necessary for him to suffer, but also to enter into glory. That says that the resurrection is the first step 
for Christ entering into glory. After the resurrection, there's the ascension. After there is the ascension, he's seated at the right hand of God. He's in glory. This Jesus was not only going to die on this cross, but this Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And then there was a third response. He responds by revealing himself in Scripture. Jesus, in verse 27, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the Scripture. Greatest Bible study in all of history. Jesus Christ takes these two individuals to Sunday school. He says, sit down. Literally, they're walking. Keep walking with me. I'm going to teach you some things. And he didn't need a whole day. He didn't need a whole week. He didn't need a whole year. Now, some of us wouldn't be able to do what Jesus did. Jesus did it in a few hours. And he taught them. He instructed them about himself. He he let them know that the Bible is about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And people want to talk about, oh, I would love to hear what he says. Read your Bible and you'll find out what he said and how the Bible points to Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection. It gives proper meaning to Christ's person and his passion. Get the resurrection wrong, you'll get his person wrong. You'll end up with just a dead man, no matter how good he is. You'll end up with a man who didn't rise from the dead, but is still in the tomb, in the grave. Christ's resurrection proves that scripture is about him. In these last two points, I hope to go quickly. But in a sense, we've just seen this, that scripture, the Bible is about Jesus. But Luke brings out a different way that this is taught. After this great Bible study, they continue to travel and they arrive at Emmaus. And as they, when they arrive at Emmaus, these two disciples, that's home for them. They've reached their destination. But for Jesus, he pretends, he's act like he's going to go a little bit further. But they want this traveler to be with them. They want to show hospitality to him. So they open up their home to Jesus and say, stay with us, remain with us. And Jesus goes into their home and remains with them. And the time comes for a meal. They eat. And a strange thing happens. Typically, if you invite somebody into your home for a meal, you serve them. In this case, they have a meal and Jesus plays the role of the host. He takes the bread and gives thanks for it. He breaks it and gives it to the two individuals like it's his home. But then an amazing thing happens. A miracle. The the, the text says that 
In verse 31, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Those eyes that were closed, those eyes that were prevented from recognizing Jesus, now God says it's time. It's time for them to see who this third traveler is. And so God opens their eyes, just like the scriptures had been open to them, but now their eyes are open and they recognize Jesus. They recognize him. And you know what that means? That means that Jesus' resurrection body is like his earthly body. When Jesus walked on this earth for over 30 years, people saw him, people followed him, people interacted with him. He's killed, he's buried, he rises from the dead, and the body that he rises in looks like the body that he died in. Continuity there. Their eyes are open. And because their eyes are open, they see this third traveler. And it's none other than Jesus Christ. And immediately another miracle happens. Jesus vanishes from their sight. He vanishes from their sight. Now think about this with me for a moment. These individuals just had their eyes open that they could see the resurrected Jesus. Jesus vanishes from their sight. So what do they remember the most? You would think that the thing that would have been etched in their mind is that they saw Jesus with their own eyes. But that's not the case. When you look at our text, verse 32, these individuals, the thing that was the most important to them, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. The the precious memory for them is not seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected body, but seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in the pages of Scripture. Can I say that to you? You and I would treasure, we would value, if we could see Jesus with our own eyes. But but these two disciples says the thing that they value the most is not seeing Jesus with their own eyes. The thing that they remember the most is how their hearts were set on fire because this man opened up the word of God to them so that they understood it was all about Jesus. That is more important than you and me seeing Jesus with our own eyes physically. Some of us want to see the resurrected Christ. God wants us to see Christ in the pages of Scripture. I hope you will treasure that and you will value that and that you will see what's so important about the resurrection of Christ is that it proves that Scripture is all about him. The last thing that I want you to see is that Christ's resurrection compels his followers to proclaim 
that he is alive. This is the last difference that Christ's resurrection makes according to verses 33 through 35. Instead of the disciples making plans to spend the evening at home, amazingly, they decide that they're going to get up and go back to Jerusalem. Now, they have just traveled seven miles on foot to get to Emmaus, and now, having seen the resurrected Christ, and their hearts burning within from the lesson he has taught them about himself, they now say, we need to go back and tell our brothers and sisters in Christ that Christ has risen from the dead. And so they get up and head back to Jerusalem, a journey of seven miles. And even if you were a fast miler, like my buddy Norland, Fast miler, it would still take you a while. These weren't no milers. These men were walking. But as they walked, I'm sure they were skipping. I'm sure they were jumping. I'm sure they were excited and full of life. Why? Because they had seen Jesus and Jesus had taught them the word of God. And so they get back to Jerusalem. And what do they find? They find that gathered together the 11 and those who were with them. They find the 11 apostles and a bunch of disciples with them. And they want to share what they have seen, but before they can let a word out of the mouth, the 11 and the disciples take the center stage and they say to these two disciples, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. here's what they are saying to the two disciples. The two disciples are excited. They want to tell the other that they have seen the risen Christ. But before they can open their mouth, these individuals are saying, the Lord is risen. Not Jesus, not a prophet. The Lord has risen. The one who is sovereign and over control in each person's life. He has risen. Indeed, certainly, really. And he's even appeared to Simon, that apostle who denied Jesus three times. Finally, the two disciples, the two disciples get to say their word, and they share and began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. But what you find out is that Christ's resurrection compels his followers to tell people that Jesus is alive. That's us, Christians, as followers of the Jesus Christ, knowing that he has risen from the dead, we're compelled to tell others that he is alive. One of the differences that Christ's resurrection makes in the believer's life that you can sing the song from the depths of your soul. He lives. He lives. I serve a risen Savior. 
He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. In just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ, our King, the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good, and kind. He lives. He lives. He walks with me, and he talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how? I know he lives. Oh, I can point you to the word of God, but if you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. The resurrection of Christ makes a difference, my friends. Praise God that Christ died for our sins, according to scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to scripture, and that he appeared to many individuals and to many groups. Praise God, praise God that we serve a risen Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Thank you for just letting us to see, let us see how the resurrection of Christ makes a difference, how it brings help to those who are in despair, how it brings true meaning to the person and work and passion of Christ, how it proves that Christ is what the Bible is all about and how it compels us to share and to proclaim that Jesus Christ is alive. May we shout from the mountaintop that Jesus Christ lives, that he is alive. And thank you for what that means for our individual lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.